Welcome to the Ranting Soccer Dad podcast for November 1st, 2017. I'm your host, Bo Dewar. I'm recording this on a lovely Halloween afternoon where we're all talking about the NASL versus USSF lawsuit. A hearing has just concluded in New York, and a ruling is expected at the end of the week. We don't know what that'll be. There's really not too much reason to speculate on that on a podcast for when when we're only two days away from having the news be eclipsed by more news. So won't say too much about that, except that just in all my reading of it, and perhaps I'm devoting too much time to it, it is starting to seem like a waste. We're doing so much work. Well, well, yeah, we. That includes those of us on Twitter um, and those of us reporting, those of us writing, those of us doing podcasts. It seems like we're doing an awful lot here to argue about a brand name, basically. You know, and it's it's not helping the sport one way or the other. It's not helping the sport. It's not, well, it could be hurting the sport. I don't see how it helps the sport to have a brand name in ASL. Now, it would hurt the sport if we lost Indy 11, and if we lost uh, North Carolina FC. It'll hurt the sport if we lose San Francisco Deltas, which appears likely. That's all bad news. Um, but there are ways to keep a lot of these clubs playing, and it's frustrating that we don't seem to be finding a way to do that. Instead, we're in court arguing about intellectual property, frankly, that really doesn't stand for what it did a long time ago. And the NASL in 2017 doesn't even resemble the NASL of 2011 much less the NASL of 1978, back in the heyday of Pele and Beckenbauer and Canalia and Rodney Marsh and all those players. It just doesn't. So it's hard to understand why we're devoting so many legal hours to something like this. So I was looking for something a little bit better or some some optimistic news this week. And I... I Stumbled upon it kind of by accident. Um, last week's podcast was supposed to be an interview with Joe Baroni, the chairman of the NPSL, which is one of the two summer amateur leagues that is unofficially Division Four. And that podcast did not record correctly. There were a lot of technical problems. Um, and we tried a few ways to salvage it and make things work out, but uh, what happened instead was I wound up talking with someone else from the NPSL, and that's Jeff Tefault. And that turned out to be a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, well, as I expected, because I've, I've known Jeff for a while. Uh, we knew each other back in MLS days. He brings an interesting perspective to the whole U.S. soccer uh, pyramid, or tiers, if you don't want to call it a pyramid, since there's no promotion relegation. Uh, he used to work for Major League Soccer. He used to work for Soccer United Marketing, which is the company that MLS started in 2002 and bundled together marketing rights and quite probably saved Major League Soccer because there were basically two plans for Major League Soccer in 2002. One was to form this company and see how it goes. The other was to fold, and they chose the former, and that's why we still have Major League Soccer to this day, that's why we still have a functioning Division One. So 
he brings an interesting perspective having come from that environment. It, it's safe to say he doesn't quite buy into the conspiracy theories that some people have about MLS and Soccer United Marketing, which you'll see abbreviated as SUM, S-U-M, uh, and U.S. Soccer. He, it's uh, tough to get him involved in the conspiracy talk uh, because he's been on both sides of it. And instead, I think our conversation focused on a lot of positive things that are happening at the NPSL level and the amateur level in the United States. And it doesn't mean that we're going to have this giant promotion relegation pyramid tomorrow. It doesn't mean that we're going to have all of these amateur clubs moving up and becoming pros. Although there is certainly a means to doing that now. There are NPSL teams that could go pro. And granted, that is a controversial part of the NASL lawsuit where the NASL is saying, look, we have letters of intent from all these clubs and they were redacted in the most recent filings but if you go back to the initial filings especially Stefan Zemanski's declaration they're all named it's Boca Raton FC it's Detroit City FC which actually is uh, pretty strong at the gate and could probably go pro very easily and there's Virginia Beach City FC and there, there's been a lot of reporting by Midfield Press and by Nippon Chopra at Sock Takes that this is all going to be kind of propped up by existing NASL owners, and that's not something that you're supposed to be doing anymore. Yes, MLS had to do it to keep Division I soccer alive for a while, and the standards of the time allowed it. I don't know that you have a compelling case to do that just to keep Division II soccer alive at this point, especially since they'd already did that, and the people who kept it alive uh, were trafficked sports. A company that you will know if you followed any of the FIFA and CONCACAF scandal. Because uh, that's where the indictments came in. So it's not really a good idea to have a lot of clubs having multiple ownership. We should have moved past that and don't really see the argument that you need to have multiple clubs under one person's management just to keep a league afloat when there are other leagues to go to. But anyway... That wasn't the point of this conversation. We do address a little bit about promotion relegation, uh, and some of the answers here will surprise you a little bit. And it reiterates the point that you know the NPSL has a lot of people who project things onto it that it's not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily party to. The NPSL is not necessarily just a bunch of clubs that are waiting for promotion and relegation so they can go pro. No, there are some that are ready to go pro right away, and they're making moves to do so. And there are some that will never go pro, don't want to go pro, because it's a whole different business model. There are some clubs that exist for the purpose of bringing in some people who are NCAA eligible, and that's what they do. And in some cases, they're the extension of a youth soccer club. Sometimes a youth soccer club decides, hey, let's um, bring back our alumni in the summer and have them play more games. Uh, there are actually several leagues that, do that now, not just the MPSL and the PDL, which are two competitors for roughly the same space, but uh, there's a local league around me, uh, CCL, that has a, a summer league for its under-23s. And so it's just more places to play, and... There's nothing wrong with that. Now, that doesn't necessarily have an impact on the professional game. Now, all that said, you'll hear in this that, as uh, Jeff says, 
they're happy to be an incubator for professional pro clubs. And so if someone comes in and really solidifies things, the MPSL and wants to move up the pyramid, however it's done in the future, whether it's by sporting merit or by criteria, honestly, it's going to be a combination of both. There's no getting around that. And you're not going to force an amateur team to go professional. There is no way you're going to do that under U.S. law. You can't force a club owner uh, to go professional just because they win a league. And if I, most promotion relegation isn't like that. So um, most countries have a little bit of a gateway there. But there's plenty more going on at the MPSL level, and it was good to get Jeff's take on it. And we do talk about some of the broader issues in U.S. soccer. And I came away from the conversation slightly more optimistic than I was when I went in. So that's that's good. Uh, as he puts it, there are, you know, th- there are some good things going on. There are some good people involved. And it's it's too easy to forget that sometimes. And, you know, we uh, forget, you know, when we're talking about pay-to-play and issues like this, one thing I keep tossing out is there's this partnership between the U.S. Soccer Foundation, which is separate from the U.S. Soccer Federation. Those are two de- different entities. There is some overlap. The Federation can appoint some people to the Foundation Board. Uh, the Foundation is a nonprofit. The Foundation is working now with Target. Uh, yes, that's Target where you go shop um, and has the bullseye logo. And they have a partnership to put more play spaces in, you know, soccer courts and fields where there were none before. That's the sort of work that, you know, it doesn't get amplified enough. And perhaps we don't do enough to amplify you know, the massive growth that's going on at what you would call the elite amateur level, the fourth tier. It's not officially the fourth division, but it is the fourth tier of U.S. soccer. There are some interesting things going on. So without any more, let's turn it over to Jeff Default, uh, formerly of MLS, formerly of Soccer United Marketing, now of the NPSL, to tell us some good things. Here with Jeff Tefault, uh, who is with the MPSL as Managing Director, is that the right title? Yes. Managing Director, and has worked in a lot of different phases of soccer, including uh, Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing until 2011. So what did you take away from your your decade plus uh, in what some would call the belly of the beast? <laughs> well, I, I found myself very considerate. Uh, to be uh, to be a part of uh, Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing in the early years, there's certainly a different uh, different place in terms of when I started in '99 uh, and as an intern and in '98, and it's been great to see the growth of uh, the pro game in our our country. is certainly a lot different uh, from when I started to to when I left. And so, Soccer United Marketing is somewhat. Well, it's somewhat secretive by design. I mean, it's a private company. And um, do you think in general it's acting in the best interest of the game today? Yeah, I, I think that you know, some was some was started to help support Major League Soccer, uh, you know, in the, especially in the time where 
Major League Soccer didn't have the, the number of owners and the, the platform that it is now to help uh, support with other other pieces of the game, whether it's the, the broadcast side or the um, international tours or uh, its relationship with the with the Mexican national team, and and it's uh, it's grown up from there. So you're currently using the NPSL, and the the brief history of that league is that it started on the West Coast went national through the mid-2000s. I believe last year was it 97 teams? Is that the 96, yep. yep. 96, okay. Uh, yep. What's been the biggest change in the league overall that time, aside from just having many more teams? I think the biggest change is just managing our growth responsibly. Uh, you know, in the mid-2000s up to where it was, uh, it was largely run by volunteer board, and then they moved to having a commissioner position and then um and then my uh my being hired uh two years ago as managing director and and using the league's resources to support uh staff. We have over twelve people either full time or, or come on seasonally with the league to to offer uh services and resources back to our back to our members. Okay. Yeah, that's it. That's a big change because I know for a while it was tied with the WPSL, and the WPSL, I think, was famous for better or for worse for having not much of a front office. It was kind of Jerry Zanelli, and I know he brought more people in uh, over time, and of course he's just retired, but it was uh, it was not a strong central authority. But it, it was both a feature and a bug at the time, I would say, because they, they wanted to keep costs down. Uh, but at the same time, they didn't have much control. So you feel like you've sort of found that sweet spot between um, having a strong central body without becoming too bureaucratic or too costly. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I was really aggressive and wanting to be a part of NPSL, coming off working at MLS and some, and then doing some consulting with, uh, with some international teams and having a small uh, consulting business to looking up and down the pyramid and exploring different leagues, different levels and, and, and seeing how how much the NPSL um, platform makes sense. And what I mean specifically by that is that as far as I know, we're the only league that's a, that's non-for-profit. We're a member-based league, so we're not started by the investment of a couple individuals, um, whereas we're far more cooperative in the sense all our members see our line items budget there's a lot more input from a regional level uh with our uh, regional board reps so all the money that we generate is is put back into uh either back into the league or, or back into initiatives to help uh support our mission to, to grow the game of soccer in the u.s and at the moment it's primarily a summer league i know there are some teams that start playing a little earlier than that so you have a lot of ncaa eligible players and mm-hmm. that can cause some problems. And I know in the final this year, you had uh, one of the teams had a lot of players that actually couldn't play in the playoff final. Um, do you plan to stay at, in with this summer league NCAA model for the foreseeable future, or is that something you'd like to change? We're we're slowly moving off that to give our uh, give our teams an option to play a longer season. Uh, but right now, our, our our feet are firmly planted into that. Model. Uh, it's a good model, obviously, with with over 90 teams participating. That uh, that that works for us. But we've we've actively looked at some other options. One of it would be to start a, a fall single table regional fall season at the cl- conclusion of our 
August championship. Um, we're looking now at um, some teams just playing a longer season. Out, uh, some of it depends on weather, but out in the West region, we do have our team starting in, in March and then obviously the, the end of the season in August. So there is a good piece of the calendar out there, um, but they're supported with less college players as well. So I think it's, it's a matter of balancing our rosters, but also um, helping our members that would, would like that longer longer season and, and more meaningful home games for their for their fans. Yeah, so the fall season idea is intriguing. So you wouldn't even necessarily need to to split the teams that you have into two tiers. You would just have everyone playing the summer and then some continue in the fall or have a second exactly. competition. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's yep. an interesting idea. Um, now, as it stands now, throughout the country, we have a rather complicated tiering of leagues. We have two leagues that are trying to play professionally in Division Two, and as we speak, one of them is now fighting for his life in court. Uh, two that are going to try to play professionally in Division Three, perhaps next year, perhaps 2019, and then two leagues that played mostly in the summer, that would be you and the PDL, and then several top-tier USASA leagues and, and the UPSL that, are, that play a different schedule. Um, are there advantages to having multiple organizations like that, or would we, would we be better off under one giant umbrella? I, I think we're we're a ways away from a from a giant umbrella. Um, I think that you know all the leagues uh, currently out there are serving a, a purpose for uh, for their ownership. Um, we're certainly um, interested in any opportunity to work with 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 other leagues. You know, Joe Baroni, our chairman, has gone on record uh, saying that. Um, and I, you know, I think we're moving forward to a toward a, a little bit more clarity in the system and a little bit more tiered system over the next, uh, probably over the next 12 months. And part of that, I I know from speaking with Joe, your uh, your chairman, is that mm-hmm. um, the uh, USASA uh, is looking at a tier system within, um, what's well, not, it's technically not amateur soccer, it's adult soccer. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, right now we don't officially have a Division 4, which would be sort of a, you know, or Division 1 within that, but it sounds like they're really Moving toward that, uh, where do you see that going, and how does the NPSL fit into that? Well, they've been USASA has been great. We have a great relationship with with them, and, and between them and the NPSL, um, and we've been part of the conversations of their drafting of the tier system. Um, I don't want to speak for USASA, but I I think we'll see an announcement of the tier system probably in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that should be exciting. Uh, we'll have to get something USASA on for that. So for the NPSL looking to next year, would you expect any major changes uh, at this time, or do you think that next season will be pretty much the same as 2017, and then perhaps in 2019 we start to see some evolution? I think I think that we don't want to tinker with a good thing. We've got a really good platform. We've got a lot of great members. Um, you know, we go out of our way to say we've. Last year we started the season with 96 teams. We finished with 96. The year before we started with 84, we finished with 84. So we have a we have a really firm structure in place in terms of not just supporting our teams, but how vital a good member in a region or a conference is to the other the other teams to have a consistent opponent and, and to know that they're going to have a good partner off the field. So you know, for us, we're looking again for stability, managing our expansion. Uh, responsibly, um, 
that includes uh, our expansion applicants. We're having a lot of really good conversations, and we're going to have a lot of announcements over the next 30 days uh, for teams coming on. But we're being uh, we're being a lot um, very selective in terms of what kind of partners we bring on to the MPSL because we want them to be members that you know to meet our standards, and we'll be long-term partners committed to the MPSL and its its teams. So. Are you going to hit 100 teams next year, or is that even something that you, that you think about? <laughs> Too early to tell. Too early to tell. We, we may be. We may be there. We may be there. But we'll have a better idea in the next month, probably. Okay. Now, there have been some reports that there are some teams in the NPSL that are looking to move into professional ranks. In fact, um, one of the legal documents filed in the NASL case lists uh, Boca Raton, Boston, Detroit, Arizona, Hartford, New Orleans, and Virginia Beach in a, I guess, hypothetical 2018 NASL. And then there are, there have been other reports that Field Press and Sock Takes have uh, reported that there are other, that there's some way in which they may be moved into the NASL with NASL owners somehow helping them. Now, is that something that uh, if they move into the pros, you wish them good luck or uh, is that something that would you want to sort of protect your membership in that case? Well, no, I think not unlike a player, you know, if if if, if uh, we have an opportunity for a member to to move to the next level, if you will, um, we're supportive of that. I think we're supportive of the fact that it, it seems to be NPSL that's producing a lot of these teams to make that jump. Uh, in my opinion, there's no bigger jump in the pyramid uh, from amateur to pro than maybe maybe uh, joining. Major League Soccer, so you know we're we're proud of uh, of what we've been able to accomplish with putting those uh, those teams in a in a position um, both strategically and from a business perspective to even be having these conversations. But you know I'll certainly let those teams comment on their on their individual uh, end game. But you know for us um, we, we we see it as uh, you know, not unlike a a club having a, a player go to go to a bigger club. So it happens, and we're we're supportive of it. So is that a is that a viable long term future then for the NPSL to be um, something of an incubator? I mean, would it be your your sole role if you had a hundred teams, you wouldn't have all hundred of them wanting to move up and go pro. But is that a perceivable part of what the NPSL will do in the long term as being an incubator for eventual professional teams? I think for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, we're really, we're talking about a fraction of our 100 team membership. So, and, uh, you know, I think one of the great stories of NPSL is the level of teams and the level of ownership that have, that have joined. I think, I think part of it is because our, our model is cost effective. You know, we, we work very hard to keep our, our dues down, um, for the, for the benefit of our members while, while providing good services for them. So yeah, I think the platform's starting to speak for itself in terms of, in terms of how we can support teams that want to be long-term members of our league or to, to, to make the jump if they, they choose to do so. So we've avoided somewhat the uh, the traditional third rail of U.S. soccer discussion, which is promotion <laughs> relegation. And um, so from what you're describing, it sounds like what, what I often hear from uh, NPSL and, and for that matter PDL and from other amateur leagues as well, which is that a lot of clubs, it sounds like, are content to be amateur because going pro is such a massive change to the business model. Workers' comp, different schedule, different 
players that you, professional staff. Um, mm-hmm. So, do you think at this point that it would be relatively unlikely to have a uh, have promotion relegation that has that goes between that amateur professional gap, which actually took a very long time to implement in England and the Netherlands and elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the way the conversations are going, I think I, I think what everyone wants to do is at least accelerate the conversation, so we do have a responsible platform for for the upward and downward movement of of teams. You know, it's been a sea change in terms of where that conversation was a year ago to to where it is today. And um, you know, I don't like uh, like I think what Joe said. It, sh- it shouldn't take a hundred years for us to mm-hmm. get there. I think that, uh, I, but I think the way things are going. Uh, there's a lot more optimism in, in some form of of movement. Yeah, that is exactly how Joe put it in the uh, the conversation we had that had technical difficulties, but it was exactly uh, how he put it. And um, but so within the amateur race now, of course, the traditional amateur leagues, Cosmopolitan Soccer League in the New York area, the Maryland Major Soccer League near uh, near me, and even my over 30 co-ed indoor league, you know, we all have, you know, we all have promotion relegation within those amateur leagues. And so um, as the USASA starts to roll out this tiering system, um, would the NPSL become part of a pro-rail period or would it perhaps implement its own pro-rail? Would you have a two-tier NPSL at some point? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's something we'd be interested in that, at some point, I think right now we're we're focusing on really just again giving the best services and and management of our of our league that we possibly can. But you know we're we're open to any any substantive conversation that would that would talk about the right movement. But we're having that we're having that now in the sense. I mean, we talked to a number of teams that you know, respectfully probably just aren't ready for NPSL just yet, and 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 the you know, to the platform that we've. Been able to position ourselves so they, you know, they will go play in uh, in other leagues with the idea that they'll they'd like to, uh, you know, their are where their longer term goal over the next two, three, five years to to move up to a national league with national playoffs that are paid for through its membership dues and the other services that we that we offer based on our based on our revenues. So and you know that's healthy for the sport right now. But where we do end those conversations, saying we won't be soliciting you if you go play at that level when you're ready to have a conversation where the door is open uh, because we just feel like that type of solicitation is unhealthy. Right. So you keep in, because I know that came up a bit. There was some back and forth, and I know this is probably legal and you can't really comment on it, about the, the sort of the poaching allegations uh, between NPSL and, and PDL. It does seem like there's some clubs that have moved either direction over the last yep. few years. That's true. So, now, you mentioned some clubs not being ready for NPSL. I know sometimes there are people who, everyone from uh, Dennis Crowley at, at Kingston to just a group of fans, and you do have a couple of fan-owned clubs. So in case there are people listening who are thinking, hey, I, I want to see what we can do, what mm-hmm. do you need to move into the NPSL? What do you need to be ready to compete at that level? Um, in terms of minimum standards, and you have to meet our, our stadium minimum standards uh, with regard to 
field size, capacity, locker room. Um, and it's a challenge. It's, it's at times to find that right facility, but any, uh, teams at all levels have this, right? Like where's the, where's the perfect place for them to play? And, and we see it at our level just as much as it's seen at the pros. So, um, you know, we have, we have financial commitments. Certainly a commitment to streaming is important for us. We're pushing more and more for our matches to be streamed and for, uh, for content for our, our weekly highlight show that we instituted this year. It's on our YouTube channel. Um, so, and, uh, and again, we want the feeling that we're going to have good, good long-term partners. A lot of how the league's run is, is, uh, whether it's the schedule, which, which the owners put together or, um, just the, the basic game day experience. Um, you know, we, we want to have people who are really committed to the league and, you know, see the value in it and, uh, and they're, and again, good, good partners. And so to wrap up then, gen, um, speaking generally about U.S. soccer, this has been a, this has been a rough month, um, <laughs> uh, on so many fronts. Um, you know, there are, um, legal issues, uh, everyone's people disappointed in several other leagues and, um, and of course the men's failure to qualify for the World Cup and, but you sound somewhat optimistic. Um, so, what do you see now as the positives? Where, uh, and uh, it can be the NPSL's role in it or just um, in general. What what positives can we see in U.S. soccer uh, as of Halloween 2017? Yeah, I, I think from my standpoint, I, you know, I, I, from a personal standpoint, being part of the NPSL, we've we've created so much stability in our league, right? So I think that we have a good good piece in terms of where we sit in the in the platform and and where we can where we can help the game and there's a lot of uh initiatives we do to help the game whether that's helping with referee assessments with with US soccer with great partners on our referee side to um our NPSL showcase which is the only other um showcase put on by a league where there's there's no cost to the players once they get into market um you know these initiatives that we reinvest back into the sport that we're we're proud of we're going to have a larger announcement in the next couple of weeks about um, expanding into another piece of the game that that we look to support uh support our mission to grow in the game in the in the u s and and I think that just overall um, you know there's enough conversation and enough uh resources and enough smart people working in this in this game that I feel like there you know there will be some change and some a lot of uh positive movement for the sport in the next uh in the next few months so yeah I'm optimistic. All right, so there are smart people in the game. You heard it here first on Ranting Soccer Dad, ironically. <laughs> there are smart people in the game. All right, Jeff, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. So do you feel a little bit better now? See, there are good people involved. There's good stuff going on. Soccer is still growing. I worry about the professional game. I sometimes debate with people about whether or not the whole thing could collapse. I don't think we're going back to 1985 anytime soon when the NASL had collapsed and there was nothing but indoor soccer and semi-pro soccer. But, you know, I think we're going to be okay. We've got a good soccer culture that's building. We'll build on that. Next week, uh, might be talking with a U.S. soccer presidential candidate or we might be talking more youth soccer. Who knows? Life is uncertain. But I will see you next week. <laughs>